So grateful to God, as I know you are, for those who sacrifice so that we can enjoy uh, what we enjoy here in this great country. As I watch videos like that, I'm reminded of uh, people in countries that are suffering for their faith. They could never imagine, think of enjoying what you and I enjoy here today, the great freedoms, unprecedented freedoms that we have. And we know that freedom is not free. There are those who have gone before us. There are those who are going before us, defending our freedoms. And I, I for one, and I know you all are very, very grateful, not only for our physical freedom, but our spiritual freedom as well. Let me, let me say again, we, we're just so glad you're here today. I felt like somebody needs to be reminded that God is on the throne and God loves you. And it's not an accident that you're here today. We're delighted that you're here on this Memorial Day uh, a weekend. I know a lot of people are, are maybe out and traveling, and tomorrow people, most people take off, and, and we're just glad that you've come to worship the Lord today. Let me just give you a little uh, a brief update as to where we are. We're studying the book of Genesis, at least the latter part of Genesis, 37 through 50. It's a biographical study on the life of Joseph, one of the prominent Old Testament figures, really a type of Christ, if you will. And by that I mean you see in the life of Joseph many similarities to the life of our Lord. And you'll notice these as we walk through these chapters together. And uh, this is my favorite kind of study. Uh, when we as a congregation just get to pause and go deep into the Word of God and to study the life of one of God's uh, heroines or one of God's heroes, in this case, uh, study the life of Joseph. Today we're going to study how he faced what many of us face and, and really to encapsulate it in a word, it's the word misunderstanding. Uh, Joseph was deeply, grotesquely misunderstood, uh, I think first of all by his brothers and then subsequent to that as we'll read in this text, uh, he will be misunderstood uh, by his boss by a man by the name of Potiphar because Potiphar's wife uh, told a tall tale against Joseph and, and Joseph is, um, is innocent. And yet he is uh, misunderstood, he's incarcerated, he's placed in prison. And what's interesting to me is in this story, this story follows what we studied a couple of weeks ago. You remember uh, Potiphar's wife um, was trying to seduce him, and, and Joseph, he was strong in his faith and strong in his relationship to God, and he said, I cannot do that, great wickedness and sin against my God and sin against my boss and sin against you. You are his wife, and I am not going to lie with you. And you and I may look at that and say, way to go, Joseph, and I bet because of your faithfulness and fidelity to God, because you took such a strong stand, I bet God is about to bless you, God's about to promote you, and God's about to just lift you up because you did the right thing and just the opposite happened. You ever feel that way? Man, I'm doing the right thing. I'm doing what God asked me to do, and, and instead of being promoted and blessed, I find myself misunderstood. I find myself falsely accused. I find myself in the depths of this prison, and the, and the, the natural guttural reaction of a human being in that point would be to raise our fist up to God and question God and, and say, God, why would you allow this to happen? After all, all I was trying to do, God, was please you and serve you, and I, I could have easily given in to that temptation, but I did not. And yet, Lord, this is, where, this is where it gets me. But that's not what you find in Joseph. You find his reticence. You find his silence. You find him there strong and sturdy as a mighty boulder because he knows that God is shaping him. He knows that God has his hand on him, and he knows in his heart he hasn't done anything wrong. And to be misunderstood 
is a difficult thing. I'm, I'm chuckling because it reminds me of a story of, a, of an attorney in Texas uh, a number of years ago. He was part of this prestigious law firm. He was a rookie attorney. And he was in the midst of this firm with a lot of seasoned veterans. And every Thanksgiving, the boss would give every one of his junior attorneys, he would give them a turkey. And he would make a big show of it. They would come into the big conference room, and, and all around the conference room would be these birds, these turkeys. I mean, they are all dressed out and ready to be eaten. And the, you got to do what the boss says. And the boss says, here's what you do. You, you walk up to the turkey. You pick up the turkey and you say, why you're grateful to have this turkey and what a blessing it is to be able to serve in this law firm. So sure enough, that's what they did. And some of the older guys, they say, well, let's enter, let's get the rookie. He, he doesn't know what all's going on here, and so let's do this. So what they did, they took his bird and they placed a fake bird on the table. And it paper mache, you know, and lead, and yet it had a turkey's neck and a turkey's tail. It looked just like a turkey. And he picked it up and he blessed it and he said why he was grateful. And he's taking that turkey home to give to his family. <laughs> on the way home, he got on the bus to ride home and a guy got on the bus and you could tell he was just having a tough time. In fact, he sat next to the attorney and he began to share his story. He said, you know, I've been out of work for, uh, for weeks upon weeks, and I, I'm so concerned because I don't even have enough money to buy a turkey to eat with my family. And that attorney, he felt bad. He says, well, you know what? I think I'll just give him my turkey and let him take it home and, and let him eat it. And, uh, and he said, but you know what? I don't want to dishonor the man. And so I asked him, I said, I said sir, do, do you have any money on you? And the guy says, yeah, I got just a couple of dollars. He said, I'll tell you what, I'll sell this turkey to you for a couple of dollars. And so he did. He sold the turkey to that guy, and uh, that guy took that turkey home. Well, Monday morning, the attorney went back to work, and uh, boy, the older attorneys, they were so excited. They were like, man, we, we're going to find out what happened. And they came in, it's a true story, and they said, well, how'd you like that turkey? He says, well, I don't know. I, I sold it to a guy that was down on his luck. And all those attorneys got on a bus and took off every day that week and tried to find that man <laughs> who took that turkey home. You know what, I wonder if that guy didn't curse out that attorney. I bet he was mad. I bet he was saying, how dare you? And that attorney would be misunderstood. If that, is that anything like everything like happened to you? I mean, you did the right thing or you thought you were doing the right thing and you were misunderstood and you actually suffered punishment for what you thought was the right thing to do. Well, let's look at the life of Joseph here. I love this story. It's a, it's a strong story, but stay with it. Look at it. It says, and so it was when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand, and he fled that she called out to the men of her house. So this is Potiphar's wife, unnamed, I think for a reason. And she called out to the men of her house and she spoke to them and she said, see, he has brought into us a Hebrew to mock us. He came in to lie with me and I cried out with a loud voice. And of course we all know this is, this is fabricated. This is a fallacious story. She didn't do any of these things. I mean, she, it was just the opposite. She was trying to seduce Joseph and Joseph took the high road and he left, but this is, her, this is her concoction of the story. And it happened when he heard that I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and he fled and he went outside. So she kept his garment with her until his master came home. And then she spoke to him with words like these saying, the Hebrew servant whom you brought to us came in to mock me. And so it happened as I lifted my voice and I cried out that, that I cried out 
he, I, maybe y'all going too fast. So it happened as I lifted my voice and cried out, I can't see, I got to get glasses, there it is, that he left his garment with me and he fled outside. And so it was when his master heard the words which his wife spoke to him saying, your servant did to me after this manner that his anger was aroused. Now notice this, this is Potiphar. And his anger is aroused toward Joseph because his wife has accused him, basically, of trying to rape her. And so Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison. Barith, the Hebrew word there for prison, a good translation of that would be a dungeon, all right? He is placed in a dungeon, a place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in the prison, Joseph was. But look at verse 21, don't you love this? Times are tough. Joseph is misunderstood. He's falsely accused. He's incarcerated, and he's placed in this place, this dungeon of a house. And yet the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy, and he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And verse 22 says, and the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. And the keeper of the prison, does this sound familiar? Sounds like what Potiphar did, doesn't it? The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority. Why? Because the Lord was with him. Look at that again, church. Because the Lord was with Joseph, and whatever he did, the Lord made it to uh, prosper. Uh, some of you here today can relate to this story, and I can as well, because there have been times in my life, and there have been times in your life where you try to do the right thing, and yet you were falsely accused, and I don't know that you were put in any kind of physical prison, but, but you feel the sting of that. And again, the, the natural human reaction would be to defend ourselves, and, but we don't read any of that in the story of Joseph. I mean, I'm, I keep waiting for Joseph to say, well, well, wait a minute, Potiphar, that's her side of the story. Now, now, let me tell you my side of the story, but you don't see that. You don't see Joseph defending himself. You don't see him getting angry. You don't see him saying, whoa, 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 that, that's not the way it went at all. That's not how it went down at all. You just see him, just like this mighty force of granite and rock, he's just standing there and he's taking it and he finds himself falsely accused. I don't, I don't know about you, but the, one of the natural reactions of a human being when falsely accused and misunderstood is to set the record straight and to defend yourself. But you know, a friend of mine said this one day, and, I, and I, when I first heard him say it, it just kind of stung me a little bit, but then it began to settle in and I understand what Brother Johnny Hunt was saying when he said, I never feel so carnal as when I am defending myself. Think about that for just a minute. I never feel so carnal as when I'm trying to make everything come my way, make, make everybody understand my point of view. You know, and I said earlier, Joseph's life is many times a type of the life of Christ. When Jesus Christ was falsely accused, remember that? When he was placed in the dungeon of, of the house there, of Caiaphas's house, and, and he is brought to trial, and he is mocked, and he is beaten, and, and they say, well, defend yourself. Are, are you the Christ? He says, I am, but, but that's all. He wouldn't, he wouldn't go into this elaborate defense, and certainly he didn't come off of the cross and annihilate and execute them. No, he knew, I believe, like Joseph knew, that God had a plan even in his suffering. I don't know who needed to hear that, but God has a plan. He is the master planner. He is the master architect, and He is building Joseph to be the man that He wants him to be. I'm, I'm reading the life of Vince Lombardi, and it's a fascinating read, and, 
he, I, I was reading on the plane, I guess it was yesterday, and I, I was studying his life, and a friend of Vince Lombardi's gave a toast one day after they won their first Super Bowl. And Vince Lombardi with the Packers, he was 45 years of age when he became a head coach. And he had been passed over time and time again. And he thought, well, I guess I'll never be a, a, a head coach. He said, I, I guess maybe it's because I'm Italian. And he, he had this little bit of an inferiority complex. He says, maybe it's because people are looking down upon me because I'm, you know, I'm Italian and I, I look Italian and maybe I sound that way. And, and he felt, he just felt like people were passing him over until at the age of 45, he became a head coach and within just a couple of years, he won his first Super Bowl. And a friend of his made this statement at the toast of winning the Super Bowl, he said these words. He said, when God has reserved real greatness for somebody, God makes sure he's ready for it. A good word. When God has great, real greatness for someone, he makes sure that he is prepared for it. And I've often said from this pulpit, I want to say it again, a, a large assignment, a prodigious assignment from God could never be met with a person of weak character or lack of morals. And so, we, we, see these, uh, we see these characteristics, these traits in the life of Joseph. So, what I want to do this morning is I want to walk through this text with you, and I'd like to use it as a theatrical play. I'd like to do it in scenes, if you will, as we look at this, this narrative, this story of Joseph. There are three key scenes in the text that we read, and scene number one is false accusation and misunderstanding. And we read it verses 13 through 19. Joseph is falsely accused. He is deeply and grotesquely misunderstood. Potiphar's wife, bold face, lied against Joseph. He had rejected her. He had scorned her. And in her fury, she sought swift revenge. Hell has no fury like a scorned woman. Maybe you've heard that. I mean, this woman is mad, and she feels, she feels betrayed, and she feels scorned, and she feels belittled. And so she's going to retaliate against Joseph. But in verse 16, it's, she, she does not refer to Potiphar as her husband, but, uh, or does not refer to Potiphar as her, but to Joseph's master. I thought that was interesting. She didn't refer to him as her husband, but yes, Joseph's master. In verse 19, his, you see Potiphar, his anger is aroused. I don't know, but I was reading this, I was thinking, I wonder. I wonder if Potiphar believes his wife or believes Joseph. What do you think? I, I think deep down inside, I, 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 don't, I, can't, I can't prove this. This is an argument from silence. But something in me believes that Potiphar, who has watched Joseph meticulously and been faithful to his word and never an issue, never a problem, and yet here he is being accused by this lady that the Bible won't even mention her name. But in my heart, I wonder if, if he believes Joseph and doesn't believe his wife. But he cannot take that risk, and so he has Joseph incarcerated. And here Joseph is. He's just going to let the facts ride out on the snail as he just waits meticulously and slowly for God to justify him, for God to exonerate him, for God to vindicate him. Chuck Swindoll has written a book on Joseph, and it's an excellent book, but I, I remember another book Chuck Swindoll wrote. He only wrote a hundred, but one of them was called Three Steps Forward and Two Steps Back. And this is what he said. He says, do you have a friend at school that's given you a hard time? Tell God about him. Is there somebody at work that you just cannot handle no matter what you do? Look, he said, that's why you have a Savior, a Deliverer. You were born into the family of God. 
So don't be content to live like an orphan. Learn to bring your misunderstandings to God, end of quote. And I think that's what you're going to find that Joseph is doing. So scene one, you have this scene of false accusation and misunderstanding. Now let's go to scene two. And by the way, it's just bad. It's going to be bad until the end scene, it gets much better. And scene two is one of punishment and imprisonment. And again, the word bayith, the Hebrew word prison there, refers to uh, not this air-conditioned, you know, with a, with a cot and three meals and, and exercise equipment and that sort of thing. No, no, don't think about that when you think of prison. In the Old Testament, think of a dungeon, dark, damp, musty place where they put criminals, where they put people who had committed heinous crimes, and there Joseph is. Psalm 105, 18, referring back to the scene of Joseph's life, says this, they hurt his feet with fetters. He was laid in irons. He could have said, okay, God, if this is how you treat your friends, I'd hate to be your enemy. And God, I mean, after all, what, what is the deal? What is going on here? But he did not choose that route. He chose the route of Job who would say, though he slay me, yet I will trust in him. There are verses in the Bible that I come across sometime, and at first I think, I wish that wasn't in the Bible. I don't know if any of y'all think like that, because it's just so convicting. It's just so penetrating. And one of those is 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20. Look at this verse, church. Look at this. He said, for what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and you suffer, if you take that patiently, this is commendable before God. Uh, James Ireland knew about this. James Ireland was a pastor in one of our first states in the great state of Virginia, and James Ireland was a Baptist, and he was preaching the Word of God in the 1700s. And boy, it's good to be reminded of people like this. It's good to be reminded pre-1776, before our freedoms before we were a nation and so deeply blessed by God. Well, here this, this pastor is, this Baptist pastor, he was converted when he was 21 years of age, and right after his conversion, uh, he began to preach. And um, the authorities came to him and they said, listen, you cannot preach unless you are authorized by the state and by the church, and, and of course he was not. And so he was placed in a place called Culpeper Jail. And I've actually seen this, actually been there, and he was placed in a jail, now think about this, in America. I hope we don't go back to those days, by the way. But he's placed in a jail for standing up and preaching the Word of God. You know, it's interesting. Let me just do a sidebar here for just a minute. Oftentimes, that, that scares us to death in America to think, oh, no, I, I can't imagine that that happened. Listen, friend, that did happen in our country. And if God allows it to happen again, then he allows it, and it's for a reason. It's for a purpose. You say, well, why are you talking about that? Because you would be the one incarcerated. Let me tell you something. If I'm put in prison for preaching the Word of God or for saying that marriage is, is, a, is a sanctified union between a man or a woman or killing unborn babies is a crime of heaven, if I'm incarcerated, if I'm put in prison for saying that, then bless God, then that's just the way it's going to have to be. I hope it doesn't. I hope it doesn't. But it may be that... And, you know, that's what happens. Well, this, this man, for doing exactly what we're doing today, just preaching the Word and loving the, the Word of God and sharing, well, he's placed into prison. He said, they asked me, who gave you authority to do this? I answered, 
he that was the author of the gospel had a right to send forth who he qualified to dispense it. Well, they came upon me with abusive epithets, and they inquired of me if I had any authority from man to preach, and I produced my credentials, but of course, these would avail to nothing, not being sanctioned by the bishop. They told me, I must give security not to teach, to preach, to exhort for twelve months and a day, or I must go to jail. You choose. And James Ireland said, I chose the latter. He was incarcerated for a year's time, and uh, it, it is a miracle that he lived because he was placed like in a place where Joseph was placed. It, it was not hospitable. It was a dungeon of a place. He said, I had on one occasion, I was even in prison. I stood up to preach, and the people, the guards who were in charge, they got up on a, on a platform, and they urinated in my face as I tried to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said, on another occasion, uh, I was, I was, there was a doctor and a jailer, and they tried to poison me. And he said, one time a group gathered down at the local tavern, and they, they concocted this plot. They said, well, here's what we can do. Let's, let's set off a, an explosion in the prison, and let's kill that Baptist pastor preacher for preaching and making us feel guilty of our sins. And so they tried. And, there were three guys in particular who put this, this makeshift bomb, if you will, together, and they detonated it, and, and it didn't kill him. He, he just like he was untouchable, and he says, I saw what they tried to do, and it failed, and I just kept on preaching the Word of God. Of those three guys, he said, that did this, he said there was one who was a ringleader, and he was the one that kind of put the plan together. Those three guys went out on a hunting trip a few days after that. And the three of them were lying there by the fire, and, and the, the guy who really tried to kill Pastor Ireland, he was laying in the middle. And those three guys were laying, and their feet were toward the fire. And this wolf, <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. This is a true story. This wolf comes by those three men, and guess which one? He bites in the nose. He bites that one in the middle, and the guy dies three days later from just basically going mad from rabies. And so James Ireland, he says, I was going to be faithful, I was going to be falsely accused, I was going to preach the Word of God, and God vindicated him. God, listen, God exonerated him. God justified him. And I think about Jesus. I think about Jesus as he's dying on the cross and he's telling everybody, listen, I am the Savior of the world. I'm the Son of Man. I am the Son of God. I, I lay down my life and I'll, I'll do these miracles and I'll, I'll, I'll raise the dead. I'll turn the water into wine and I'll do all these things so that you will know that I am who I say I am, that I am the Son of God, that I am God come in the flesh. And people are like, sure you are, buddy. Sure you are. Anybody can do that. And maybe you're just some magician, and maybe you're just some superstitious person. And, but let me tell you something, up from the grave, when he arose from the dead, God vindicated his Son. God said that's exactly who he is. He's the Son of God. So listen, when, when, when you're in a tough way, and when you're being misunderstood and you're falsely accused and the verdict is still out, just be faithful. Just watch what God does. Listen, God's amazing. God knows everything. God knows your heart. God knows what you did. God knows what you did not do. And it's amazing to watch God vindicate, exonerate, justify, and bless someone as long as they don't try to, you know, be vociferous and, and defend themselves. By the way, when Pastor Ireland died, he was pastoring three churches 
in Virginia. You want to know the name of these churches? Sure you do. Listen to this. Water Lick, Happy Creek, and Buck Marsh Baptist Church. Hallelujah. <laughs> Happy Creek, Buck Marsh, and Water, Water Lick. Pastor three churches. Now the last scene is my favorite scene. Here it is, is God's presence and prosperity on Joseph's life. As you look at verses 21 through 23, can we read them again? Look at them again. But the Lord was with Joseph. Oh, listen, friend, when the Lord is with you, things start to change, and showed him mercy. And he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the, of the prison. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but can I just give you just a blessing, just a word of hope here? When Joseph is in his 30s, he will become the prime minister of Egypt. He will become the most prominent, powerful man in the world, save one, and that is Pharaoh. And yet there are like 13 years of preparation. There's all this false accusation, there's all this imprisonment, there's all this misunderstanding, there's all of this stuff that's going into Joseph's life, and, and God is taking it and God is using it because God has a grand assignment for His servant, and God is chiseling him, God is disciplining him. But here it says, and he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did, it was his doing. Now, when I was reading it earlier, I said, doesn't that remind you of Potiphar? Because that's what Potiphar did, remember? When he came uh, out of Hebron and he bought him off the slave market there in Egypt, and Potiphar made Joseph over all of his servants, over all of his household, over all of his lands and his livestock, everything that Potiphar had, he delegated it to Joseph because the favor of God was on Joseph, and Potiphar was blessed because he blessed the person that God was intending to bless. And so God is blessing Potiphar, remember this, God's blessing Potiphar because Potiphar is blessing the man that God has singled out to bless. And that ought to be a good word for us. Listen, when you find somebody that has the hand and the favor of God upon them, invest in them. When you find somebody that you say, man, God's hand is on that young man, or God's favor is on her life, you begin to pour into them and to invest in them, and I just want to go ahead and tell you, you get the blessing. You're going to be favored and blessed because you had the spiritual wherewithal to find those that God had favored and blessed. And so we, we see the thing, the same principle happening here with this keeper of the prison. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. Now watch this. And whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. And so the keeper of the prison now, man, he's, he's large and in charge. I mean, he doesn't have to worry about anything. As long as Joseph is a prisoner, Joseph just kind of runs the prison for him, if you will. And the warden, the keeper of the prison, he can just kind of kick back and relax because Joseph is there, and God's hand of favor is so upon Joseph that in turn it blesses the keeper of the prison. There's some great principle there for us, and I don't want you to miss it, to bless those that God has His hand on that God is going to favor. When you're filling in the blank there, the first one is A, is God's presence and peace is upon Joseph, because the Lord was with Joseph. It matters not what severe temptation, accusation, misunderstanding, or whatever. When God is with you, you're going to be fine. When you're in pain, when you want to retaliate, when you want to defend yourself, if you wait on God, 
And watch what God will do. God will justify you. God will bless you. God will come to your aid if you wait on Him. A couple years ago, I read Alexander Solzhenitsyn's uh, biography, and I, I would recommend it. It's a fabulous read of a, of a man who was put into Stalin's gulag because he spoke out against the state. Come on, church. We never have to worry about that. At least for now, we don't. I mean, I can make my critical statement like I did last week about Trump, and, and nobody arrested me, nobody has falsely, or nobody's imprisoned me. I can make a whole lot more critical statements about the other candidate, I want you to know too, about Hillary. But I, I mean, I, I, you know, I can say that, and by the way, I can say any of that and not jeopardize our 501c3, as long as I don't say, this is who I'm voting for, and that's who you need to vote for. Now, when you do that as a pastor, then you're on dangerous ground. But to stand to preach the Word of God and criticize people and to criticize them, I mean, you're, yeah, you know, it's, it's okay. So what word do you have for us today, Brother Danny? I guess I don't have, I don't have any word against those guys. I'm, I'm still praying about it. I was invited last week to go to New York City, and I'm going. They said they want to invite you and some evangelical leaders to come and meet Mr. Trump, and I'm going. I'm going to go meet him, and if I don't think I'll repeat what I said last week, I might, but I, I, I'm going to hopefully get to meet him. There's about 500 of us there, and, and he's supposed to be there and answer our questions as evangelicals, because I've got questions. We've all got questions about this, and so y'all pray for me. I, I'm, I don't know that I'll get to meet him individually, but I will be in a room with him, and I hope to learn more and find out more about who he is. Alexander Solzhenitsky, eight years in the Soviet Union's gulag camp. He said, it was only when I lay there rotting in, public, in, in, in prison straw that I sensed within myself the first stirrings of good. Listen to this. Gradually, it was disclosed to me that the line separating good and evil passes not through states, not between classes, nor between political parties, but right through every human heart. That is powerful. Good and evil passes right through every human heart and through all human hearts. So bless you, prison, for having been in my life. That's what Solzhenitsky said. Bless you, prison, for having been in my life, because it was in prison that he found Christ. It was in prison that he was liberated and set free. Isn't that ironic? Isn't that paradoxical? That it was in prison when he was born again. And in that book I, I referenced a moment ago, in Pierce's biography, he was asked toward the end of his life, well after his incarceration and well after really a, a very powerful life as an author and as a speaker, they asked him, they said, what, what is your take on suffering? What, what would you leave us with to, maybe just kind of as a, as a nugget of truth that we can learn from your life because you were imprisoned. You were falsely accused, and you endured all that. What, what would you say to us? And this is what he said. Suffering is essential for our spiritual growth and perfection. Now, if a person doesn't draw what has to be drawn from suffering, but instead he becomes embittered against it, then he's making a very poor negative choice. End of quote. Powerful stuff. The next one is the word promotion in verse 22. The warden, as I talked about a moment ago, <laughs> Joseph is being promoted and blessed, and so is the, the keeper of the prison. And the last P I want to put there for you, number, letter C, is the word prosperity. Uh, he humbly accepted the will of God, 
And now Joseph is experiencing the peace of God, the prosperity of God, as the plan of God slowly unfolds for Joseph's life. I don't know about you, and I don't know what you're experiencing today, and and it's not just for college students or young people that this message is intended for. This message is intended for all of us. I know Joseph is in his 20s, but most of us here today are well past our our 20s. And yet, I I just want to submit to you that, that God's not through with you. And God has a great plan, and God has a purpose for leaving you here. If He didn't, He would have killed you the moment He saved you. You ever thought about that? And God didn't kill you the moment He saved you, He left you here because He wants you to be a part of the expansion of the kingdom of God. And yet, for some of you, God's got you maybe in training. He's, he's got you under the, on the potter's wheel. Uh, he, he's got you in that pestle, and you just feel like you're just being crushed, and you feel like, you know, man, is there a plan? Is there a purpose? Am I, am I ever going to come out of this alive? And let me just say, you will. Because when God has a grand assignment, He always has to have a person of commensurate integrity and morality to meet that assignment. So you be patient. And you be hanging there. And let me, let me say this word to you again. I never feel so carnal as when I'm having to defend myself. Let God defend you. Now, obviously, state the facts, state the truth, but let God be your justifier. Let God be your vindicator. Let God be the one who exonerates you and, and blesses you. Ooh, I just love to see when that happens. I love to see when God takes somebody out of anonymity and they're very inauspicious, very inconspicuous, nothing, nobody, everybody passes over. And watch what God does this all the time. Does it with Moses, does it with David, does it with Joseph. He does it with Billy Graham. He does it with with men and women of God. He takes them through the trials, through the difficulty, through the pain, through the agony, and then out of that rises up a person of great character and great fortitude. Maybe you're that person. Maybe God's got such a grand plan for you in order to bless you and make you alive, He first has to kill you. He first has to just shatter your pride, and He first has to just make you realize that the only person that you can truly trust, listen carefully, it's not yourself. It's not your wisdom, your, in, you know, your ingenuity, your creativity, your good looks, or whatever. It's none of that but it's Christ in you, the hope of glory, and God's got a great plan for you. Father, I pray You'd reveal that plan to whoever it is today. Lord, would it be awesome in the years ahead, we'd hear a report of someone that was in this congregation today. They were in the crucible. They were in the valley. But now, Lord, they're on the mountaintop, just like Joseph will one day be placed and positioned on the mountaintop. And yet Joseph would look back and say, I would never be where I am today had God not trained me and had God not molded me and shaped my heart. And Lord, who is that among us today? Here in Austin, Texas, Lord, where there's so much to be done and and there's so many roles and responsibilities that need to be filled by men and women of God. And yet, God, your plans, they will not be thwarted and they will not be changed. You still develop us, Lord. You still shape us. In those moments of quiet, in those moments of desperation, those moments of darkness, those moments of travail of the soul, and God, I thank You for that. I thank You that You're just smarter than we are. And Lord, I know that especially in America and especially in our city, we, we don't really want to hear stuff like that. We don't want to hear about longevity and patience and suffering, and uh, Lord, we are a play, people of instant gratification. Uh, We want a Ph.D. in two months, and we want it now. And so, Lord, I 
I pray that our church, I pray that especially, God, some of our college students and some of our young professionals would just be patient, wait on you, God, and watch you, God, do an amazing work in their life. Someone's here today, I'm, I'm convinced. There's never been a time in your life where you surrendered your heart, surrendered your will to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And I want to take just a moment, and I want to invite you. I want to invite you to become a part of the kingdom of God, to become a part of God's family. Now, with your heads bowed and with your eyes closed, some of you are going, wait a minute, I don't know if I want to do that. Because if God does that to people that He loves, I mean, what, what in the world? Listen, God has your best interest at heart, both now and for eternity. Listen, if the God who created you and fashioned you in your mother's womb, and the God who so blessed you to live in the greatest country in the world, this same God desires to know you personally. He wants you to be a part of His kingdom. You say, well, what do I need to do? You need to surrender your heart to the Lord. You say, what does that mean? You just say, God, I'm, I need you. Lord, I can't do this on my own. I, I certainly can't make heaven on my own because I, I need a Savior. And maybe today, in the quietness of this moment, you just say, Jesus, be my Savior. Be my Lord and my Master. I, I give you my life, and I want to surrender my life to you today. And for some of you, you need to do that. And I encourage you, please don't wait. Do not delay. Don't wait another moment. Give your heart, give your soul to the Lord today. Father, we do thank you for our time together, and we just pray now for salvation. We pray for a surrendering of the, of the will. We pray, Lord, for a movement of your Spirit upon our church, God, that we would be a people, Lord, that you are molding and shaping that will accomplish everything, God, that you've intended us to accomplish. Lord, I do pray that this would be a day of spiritual significant decision in the life of someone in this room. And this is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's all stand up. We'll sing our invitation. Invite you to come. We're going to have counselors. We'll have people down here at the front to pray with you, to encourage you. I would invite you to come. Even now, don't delay. Allow the Spirit of God to move in your life. Allow someone to encourage you, to speak to you the Word of God, to encourage you even now. God bless you as you come.